Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for being here today. Um, does, it, does it feel as though life has sped up like to 100 miles an hour? Anybody else feeling that way? I, so maybe it's just a little reflective. I, I, it feels to me as though life is speeding back up really, really rapidly. And I'd, I'd venture to say there's probably a few reasons for that. I think um, the pandemic largely tamping down and us having been cooped up for an entire year, right, where we just need to get out of the house a little bit. Uh, I think the second thing that's probably adding to that is it, it's now summertime. Right, so all of a sudden now it's nice outside, and you're like, oh, get out there, get into your into your yard. Um, but then I think kind of the third thing that has kind of added into that collective getting up to speed society-wise uh, is May tends to be the month where you have graduations and confirmations, right? And so I, I think at least in, in most parts of our world right now, you probably feel this kind of acceleration. Uh, if you're anything like me, I, I've gotten to listen and sit at at least one graduation and confirmation today. And when you go to these graduations, what's something that's always there? It's a commencement speech, isn't there? Okay. So, yeah, there's usually a commencement speech, right? Now, you go to a confirmation uh, on a Sunday and there isn't a commencement speech, but you're thinking, well, pastor, you kind of just talked to us, so, Right? But we call that a sermon, right? You know there's a distinct difference between a commencement speech and a sermon. Right? So, yeah. There is, right? So, um, but that, those commencement speeches, um, you've maybe heard some, the intent of them is to inspire. It's the, the intent is to, to kind of lift the, the sights of those kids that are graduating. It's to reflect on the hard work that they have done. But, but ultimately, like a good commencement speech is ultimately kind of supposed to, to send our hearts soaring and like looking off into the future, right? That's what a good commencement speech does. Now, you've maybe heard some good ones and you've maybe heard some bad ones. Uh, one that is stuck in my mind took place in 2014. Uh, so it was given by, by Admiral William McRaven. So I think I got his last name right. Yeah, Admiral William McRaven. Um, this was at the University of Texas is where he gave the commencement speech. And um, some of you maybe actually have heard it. And if you haven't, go home. It's actually a remarkably good, good commencement speech. Uh, but Ad Admiral McRaven gave that commencement speech. And the, the theme of it was make your bed. Okay? Now, he had all kinds of, of points of that he made for these graduates. But the, kind of the overarching theme of that commencement speech was make your bed. And actually his commencement speech kind of went over so well that he wrote an entire book, make your bed. <laughs> Some of you maybe have read it. 
but it's, it's a fascinating book. It's a fascinating commencement speech. And, and um, the title is Make Your Bed, The Power of How Small Things Can Change Our World. And here's essentially what I'll wrap up the commencement speech for you in a nutshell. Um, Admiral McRaven uh, was in the military his entire life, and specifically he was a Navy SEAL. And so he went through uh, the SEAL selection process and all of the grueling tasks that they had to do just in order to get to that point. And so in his commencement speech, he used, he used lessons that he learned from training and, and being tested to become a Navy SEAL for, and turned them into life lessons. And the first one that he used was, make your bed. Because can you guess what every one of those sailors had to do the minute they got up in the morning? They had to make their bed, right? And not like my kids kind of like, they just like throw the covers and like the pillows at the top. Like that's, that's their level of making the bed, right? As long covers are pulled up, sheets are all jammed in the bottom and the pillows at the top. Like that's, that's the high bar at the Spiegelberg house, right? Now, um, now, now with that said, I am not a shining example of making beds either. But as a Navy SEAL, you absolutely had to do it. Every single morning they got up, they had to make their bed, and it had to be impeccable. Because their, their superiors would come to them, and they'd look at their bed, and every single corner had to be crisp and tight, and everything had to be put in place, and the blanket had to be perfectly folded at the foot of that bed. Everything had to be exactly right. Every single morning, they had to make their bed. McRaven tells the story of, uh, at least at that time, these young men thinking this is kind of a silly thing. Like this is busy work, right? Making a bed is busy work. Like, and he even said that, he said, we were training to be like America's warriors and they're making us make our bed, <laughs> right? But here's the point that he drew, he drew from it and he applied to those that were graduating at University of Texas. He said, you wake up and you do one thing right, no one can take that away from you. You wake up and your bed is perfectly made, no one can take that away from you. He said no matter what the rest of the day was going to hold, and he said it was going to be, pardon my French, hell, right? Because that's what they put them through for Navy SEAL training. He said no matter how tough the rest of the day went, he said no matter how well you did or how poorly you did, he said you could go back to this singular fact, the one thing you did right, at that morning, and you could return to it time and time again. And he said that was one of the most profound lessons he learned and that he has applied through his entire life. He said each morning, you wake up and you do one thing right. <laughs> and life's going to throw a lot of things at you, but you got that one thing each and every morning. Now, like I said, I think it was one of the better commencement speeches that I've ever heard. And he's got lots of other lessons that kind of come from that. But I think that there's some good illustration in that for us as well. For confirmands on a confirmation Sunday. So the lesson is you need to make your bed each morning. No, but maybe you should, right? <laughs> right? But spiritually speaking, we're not going to talk about making our bed. I think there absolutely is application for each and every one of us as Christians. As you wake up in the morning, what is the most important thing to remember? When you wake up in the morning, what is the most important thing to hold on to, no matter how difficult that day may be? When you come here on a Confirmation Sunday, as eighth graders, 
what is most important for you to not let go of. That's what we want to look at today. I think it's vitally important for every one of us as believers. Our theme is going to simply be mercy every morning. Let's jump into our text. Uh, You're welcome to follow along with me if you would like. Uh, It's from the book of Romans, and this is a really fascinating section. And here's how we're going to go through it. Um, um, We're going to first talk about what's most important, focusing on God's mercy. And then we're going to draw out three practical applications that the Apostle Paul gives to us as believers of how to put that into practice in Christian living. Okay, So he starts out with the motivation. We would call that the foundation. And then he's going to give us three real practical application for Christian living. So that's kind of what we're going to go through as we go through this, this lesson. Um, but this book of Romans, this chapter of Romans, I didn't just pick randomly. Uh, it's purposeful. The book of Romans, and specifically the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, if you never did confirmation class, if you never did starting point class with a pastor, if you never took like a a Bible class in a church to learn the basics of what it means to be a Christian and to be a disciple of Christ, if if you've never done that formally, and some of you haven't, right? Some of you have. But if you've never done that, you could do a lot worse than reading through the first 11 chapters of Romans. (laughs) Right? So there you go. Is that your homework for the month? Read through chapters 1 through 11 of Romans. So, it, it basically is confirmation class. It is a systematic study of the basics and the foundation of Christian theology and Christian teaching. So if you want to know what it means to be a Christian, you could, there, there's a lot worse places you could go than Romans 1 through, 1 through 11, right? Okay. So that's confirmation class. But these guys have done that over the last two years. So that's why we're looking at chapter 12, because that's where Paul changes the subject to some degree. He takes 11 chapters to lay out, this is the foundation of who Christ is. And then in chapter 12, in the eight verses that we're reading right here and going on from here, he then applies it to Christian living. So he says, all of these things that you have learned... Now I'm going to spend some real time saying, here's how you can put them into practice in your lives and in your relationships. And so I thought it was a pretty appropriate point in the book of Romans and for these two and for us all to make that turn along with our two eighth graders. So let's jump into our text. I'm going to start by just reading the very first half of the very first verse uh, from Romans chapter 8. Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, you can tell that little half phrase is leveraging off of other things, isn't it? Paul begins with a therefore, and anytime you read a therefore in the Bible, your mind should say uh, he's basing this on something else, right? Therefore says, remember what we just went through. Therefore says, if you forgot what we just went through, go back and read it, then jump back to here, right? So that's what Paul is doing. So he's saying, therefore, after 11 chapters of Christian doctrine, therefore, and he moves on, right? But then he connects it to something that's remarkably important. And this isn't the cheat sheet on verses one through, or chapters 1 through 11, but we could probably sum up chapters 1 through 11 with, 
in view of God's mercy. Now, there's a lot to it, right? But that's specifically what Paul is connecting um, our text here today. He says, therefore, based on the first 11 chapters and in view of God's mercy. Now, what does that mean? That's maybe on the surface we say, okay, yeah, we know what that, we know what mercy means, right? It means to be nice to someone. It means to, to have compassion on someone. Well, when it's God, it's a whole different story. And that's what Paul had spent 11 chapters kind of laying out. He's saying, this is the mercy of God. And we need that, don't we? We go to commencement speeches. We even go to confirmations. And, um, and for these kids, uh, the future is bright. It's beautiful. And we, and we have commencement speeches that say, you're going to go out there and you're going to change the world and you're going to make an impact. And that is not a lie. That is accurate. But the rest of us start living life and that becomes a little bit harder, doesn't it? The optimism that we had in our youth is slowly chipped away at by just living, right? By, by sins that have been committed against us, by relationships that have fractured and fallen apart, by family members that we no longer talk to anymore, by the grudges that we hold and maybe have held for, for dozens and dozens of years, for jealousy, for, for, for lust, for anger, for greed. This is a terrible commencement speech for kids, right, by the way. But this is the reality of living in our world. And us as adults, as we're sitting here, we know that. That's heavy upon our shoulders. The pain and, and the sorrow that life brings, the heartache and the fractures that come into our lives. And so you want to know what we need? You want to know what we need every morning? We need mercy. Every morning. And I, I would maybe make the argument, uh, we need it more and more every single morning that we've lived a day on this earth. Because we have experienced and we have committed sin, right? But that's ultimately what Paul is putting before us. Saying, this is why Christ came into our world and into your lives for mercy, and for forgiveness. That is why Christ held the weight of our sin and the sin of the world upon his shoulders was to give you mercy, was to give us mercy, was to give mercy to mankind to wash sins away so that no matter how hard your life is and each and every day and maybe how difficult this Sunday morning happens to be, you want to know what you can hold on to and what never changes Christ's mercy. It's God's mercy to you in Christ. Your sins are forgiven, that you are washed clean, not because of how good a person you were that day, not because of all the wonderful tasks that you did, not because you set the world on fire, but because of Jesus' sacrificial life on your behalf. That is the heart and soul of what it means to be a Christian. The view of God's mercy, a view of the cross and forgiveness. Each and every day. You are loved and you are forgiven. That's what Paul starts us out with. That's what we start with in the morning. And I would argue you should always come back to each and every morning. That you are loved, you are valued, you are forgiven. Right? Now, interestingly enough, 
that mercy, that forgiveness, is actually what empowers our Christian living. It's what motivates and gives us the ability to live our lives in a way which gives God glory and honor and seeks to love and serve the people around us. So we start with mercy, but then Paul today gives us three practical ways that Christians live out that mercy in their lives, okay? So three ways. I'm going to continue with uh, the second part of verse 1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and then he goes on, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what does he say for us as Christians, as confirmants? To be living sacrifices, which kind of sounds like church speak a little bit, right? And, and actually, Paul's words here in the Greek are intentionally um, paradoxical. Because what happens in a sacrifice? Old Testament sacrifice, what happened? Something died, okay? Old Testament sac- a sacrifice, something dies. But now Paul's calling us a living sacrifice. So he's purposely paradoxical in what he is calling the lives of a Christian. He's saying we are living sacrifices. What that means is, is that as we live our lives... The actions we take, the words we use, the things we choose to do and refrain from doing, these things are our spiritual act of worship to our God above. So the choices we make matter. And they become our living sacrifice in honor to our God above. Motivated by mercy, that's how we say thank you to our God above for the forgiveness that we have and the mercy we have every single morning. Now, here's the fascinating thing about being a living sacrifice. Some might be saying, well, I'm not. I don't know that I want to be a living sacrifice. I don't know that I want to be a sacrifice at all. I'm going to burst your bubble a little bit. You, we all sacrifice. You do. You sacrifice to something or someone. Every single person does. No one avoids it. The only question you get to ask is who are you or what are you sacrificing to? That's the only question. You sacrifice for your career. Sometimes people will sacrifice family in pursuit of their career. You sacrifice for money. Sometimes you'll sacrifice relationships for that. You'll sacrifice for for sexuality and chasing after uh, the opposite sex sometimes, right? You'll sacrifice for for pleasure and vacation, and you'll sacrifice for adventure and and roaming our world. See, the reality of it is we we all sacrifice. We all lay ourselves at the foot of something or someone. The only question we get to ask is, who or what is that? Paul's encouragement is to lay ourselves at the foot of the cross. And as we're there, at that cross, and in view of God's mercy, we are able to see a God who sacrificed for us. Because that's the not-so-secret secret. Your adventure, seeking of pleasure, vacations, bank account, or work, none of those will die for you. They will use up every last effort, every last energy, every last bit of emotion. They will not die for you. They will not love you. And eventually they'll leave you cold and at times without family and friends. But you want to know who did die for you? It was Christ. That's simply what Paul is urging. In view of Christ's mercy, God made man who willingly laid down his life for you. Paul then says, let's offer ourselves, our lives, our words, our actions 
as living sacrifices to the God who has washed our sins away. Okay? So that's the first one. Paul says, be living sacrifices. Second thing is, he says that the life of a Christian, confirmation kids, is communal. So look at verse 4 and 5. It says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So what is Paul saying the reality? We're way more interconnected than we ever think. <laughs> you are a part of a family. You're a part of a congregation, right? Um, um, we are part of communities. Paul is basically saying there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. <laughs> God has placed us in this moment, at this time, to serve and to love and to be a blessing to the people that we walk this earth with, right? Each and every day. And I don't know what brought you here today or where you're going to go tomorrow, but today you're here. And God's brought you here and he's brought us here to serve and to love one another. And so God makes confirmands part of a congregation. Brothers and sisters in Christ that believe the same thing as you do. And so we walk together, okay? But then the last one, Paul also says, he's also blessed us each personally as well. So go on to verse 6. Paul says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then he goes on to list seven different of these gifts. Now, Paul could have listed three gifts. He could have listed 40 gifts. He chose seven. I don't know why, but I'm not arguing with the Apostle Paul or with Scripture. Okay? But here's what Paul is saying. Each and every one of you is blessed in different ways, with different abilities, different talents, and you have different mission fields. Just as there is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian, there is also no Christian that just sits idly by. Because God has blessed each and every one of you with gifts that you can use to serve and to love the people around you. And I always think about it in these terms, um, your spheres of influence, and those vary. So maybe it's serving in church, playing in a worship team, right? Or helping set up or take down. But that's far from the only place that you serve and interact with other people. Maybe it's your family, right? Immediate and extended. Maybe it's those other parents that sit on the sideline as you watch your kids kick a soccer ball around. Maybe that's your sphere of influence. Maybe it's at school, right, with the other moms and dads that drop their kids off. Maybe it's at your workplace with your coworkers. But if you think through in your mind, each and every one of you touch the lives of lots and lots of people and you have lots of spheres of influence and God asks you to use your gifts to serve and to love each and every one of those people in all of those varied mission fields. Church isn't just what we do right here on a Sunday morning. In fact, it's primarily about what you do and how you act and how you serve your neighbor and love your neighbor out in the world as you leave here on a Sunday morning. And so that's Paul's lesson. In view of God's mercy, right? He says, uh, um, give your bodies as living sacrifices. You're connected to a church and communal. But each of you has different gifts that you can use to serve and love your God. Now, um, McRaven's commencement speech, um, he mentioned a kind of a fascinating stat that I, that I haven't been able to get out of my head. Um, and as I mentioned, he had lots of good 
motivation for just being a good person. So it's actually a really good speech. Um, but he had a stat that the average American um, comes in contact with 10,000 people in their lifetime. Does that sound like a lot or a little? A lot? Little? I thought like it sounded like a little. I'm like, huh, 10,000, that seems doable. Like, I, like, and then I'm thinking like 10,000, I'm like, huh, I should really pay attention to how I'm treating my 10,000. Like, right? But, but if, if that's true, so let's say you have 10,000 contacts in your life, think of it in terms of, of living your life as a Christian. You have 10,000 opportunities to proclaim Christ to those that you come into contact with. 10,000 souls that you have the opportunity to, to share Christ with. 10,000 souls that you have the opportunity to, to, um, to model Christian behavior for, to, to share forgiveness and ultimately to grant mercy to. Now, I don't know if that's invigorating to you or scary. <laughs> I think if we're being honest, it should be a little bit of both, actually. It should be both, both uh, invigorating in the sense that you are going to come into contact with people that I won't and that the people sitting around you won't. And so that is your opportunity to share Christ with them. And maybe it's a little frightening as well because we don't always act like we should. We aren't always shining examples of our God and the light that he has shown on us. But that's where we remember mercy. Mercy every morning. You're not going to do it perfectly. And life is remarkably difficult. And those interactions with those 10,000 people are not going to be perfect. But each and every morning, guess what you get to return to? Brad and Tate, guess what you get to return to every single morning? A made bed. <laughs> and when you make your bed, here's the reminder you get. Your God's been merciful to you. He loves you. Your sins are forgiven. It empowers every action in your entire life. Amen.